So on your page 48, you have the formula. Yeah, page looks like this. So the million dollar sales letter, that which either brings in a million or is capable of bringing in a million in a setting where the setting isn't capable, but the first requisite is the appropriate, well-selected, sales letter responsive audience about which much is known. So one of the reasons mailing lists are so important is because often people obtained from other media and other sources won't be responsive necessarily to sales letters. So when TV infomercials got big and everybody started to rent the lists and mail to them, they found out they weren't half as responsive as everybody had hoped because they bought watching TV. They didn't buy reading. Um, they responded better to sending them a DVD than they did to sending them a sales letter. So ideally, you have an audience that is sales letter responsive. They're sourced that way. You've selected them well. They're appropriate for you. And a lot is known about them. The more that is known about them, the better your odds of a big hit. So, you know, some kind of journeyman copywriters, salaried, or 5,000 bucks to do a direct mail package, there's a place for them where they're useful, but by and large, they're cut and paste guys, right? So, like if you look at all of Nightingale Conant stuff for the last three or four years, you really could take the product out, drop another product in. The sales letter was the same pretty much for all of them. And it's because they had low pay, that's what the low paid folks were doing, cut and paste, right? They didn't know much about the customer. They didn't even bother to know much about the customer. So therefore, the sales letter winds up all about the product. But people don't buy product, they buy because of them. And so the more you know about them, the better off that you are. Number two, an avatar representing the audience to write to as if one-to-one. -one. So Joe Carbo, Lazy Man's Way to Riches, his, his admonition was, you should write your sales letter as if writing a letter to your not very bright brother-in-law to sell him your used car before you move to Australia. So you got to know who you're writing to and have an avatar in your mind. Opportunity copy, when I've written opportunity copy, I have always had in my mind Al Bundy from the Married with Children show, who really was Jackie Gleason's character from The Honeymooners reinvented. That's what he was. So if you never watched Married with Children, Al Bundy was this kind of feckless, almost unhappily married guy, couple of not great kids. He was a shoe salesman, so he doesn't have a very good job. And because he doesn't make any money, 
he's often scheming of some thing he's going to do, some business he's going to start, some idea he's going to exploit to make money, and of course, nothing ever goes right, right? He's got a claim to fame from high school. He ran for five touchdowns at, I think, Polk High, if I remember right, in a game. And that's his, you know, life's thing that he clings to, and he's a good bowler. So he wins bowling tournaments. And maybe the most poignant episode of the show is, so this is like really the only thing Al's got that he wins at is his bowling. And Peggy, the wife, if you've never seen the show, she's this tall, busty, red-headed, always spike high heels, tight pants, not the smartest thing in the world, but smarter than Al. So she insists on going to the bowling alley finally one night with Al and teetering on her heels, never having bowled before, I think overhand throwing the bowling ball, she breaks his record that is up on the wall of the bowling alley, has been there forevermore for the most consecutive strikes in a night, right? I mean, it's just, it's hilarious, and yet you're almost crying, for, right, for Al. So that's the guy I write to when I write opportunity copy. And it, I haven't written some in a while, so if I had to write it again, I'd go watch eight or ten episodes of Mary with Children to kind of get this person back in my head, right? So you need an avatar that represents your audience so you can write one-to-one -one like you were writing to Al. Not like you're writing advertising and not like you're broadcasting, but so you are writing to Al, right? Number three what Zig called emotional logic and selling, which means, yes, there has to be a logical framework justifying the purchase. When it's all said and done, I have to be able to myself and maybe to others rationally defend what I've done here. But that is not what's going to drive the sale. And as we said, all the way up B2B to the Boardroom of the Fortune 500. That ain't what's the logic. It's not what's going to drive the sale. Emotion is what's going to drive the sale. And emotion is what's going to get a response from copy in a sales letter. So it's a marriage of the logical construct to the emotional reasons why people would buy. Four, a reliable architecture to build the sales letter on. They're in the book. They haven't changed. You don't have to be super sophisticated. Three-act play, attention, interest, desire, action, problem, agitate problem, solve problem, a reliable architecture that works. Number five, the individual points now put in the right order. What are all the reasons? What are all the emotional appeals? What are all the features? What are all the benefits? What order should they be in? Six, a strong opening. The first third of the real estate determines whether we win or lose. Seven, internal repetition. Eight, an irresistible offer. The offer should be built to such a way that you would either have to be unable to buy 
You can't pay the price no matter what. Or you're in B2B, you're completely restricted. There's no workaround. You got to wait till the next budget year. You got to go get eight people to approve it. But if you can buy, you have to look at that offer and say, I got to do it. Right? It's just, I can't pass this up. That's why you see the classic group sales and infomercial of, and you get this, and you get this, and you get this. If you watch the knife guy, not only do you get the knives, but you get this, and you get the cutting board, and you get the blender, and you get the and TV now. It's, and if you like all this stuff, uh, if you call now, we double it. You get two of everything for just special, special and handling, which is basically the cost of all the goods plus the special hand. Irresistible offer. Nine, preponderance of proof combined with objections raised and answered. Don't leave any objection out. Don't fear them. Trot them out. Answer them. Number 10, the letter's doing the heavy lifting, but in today's world, it probably shouldn't work alone. It should be supported with corollary materials, multimedia, multi-step. And 11, the entire campaign has to be based on reasonable economics. Uh, you can't be trying to get a response percentage or an ROI that is irrational, that is just defying of gravity. So, that, so, that, so that's the formula for the million dollar sales letter. I want to, so I have something fun for you. You can pass it out. So let me tell you this story. So here are two life-altering ideas that I encountered fairly early. One was from a book. And the title of the book, so it's a guy, it, it's actually Napoleon Hill's former attorney. The title of the book was How to Get What You Want. At the time, this was a life-altering idea because it hadn't really occurred to me that you could get what you want. In fact, what I heard, what you probably heard when you were young, it still said a lot, is, well, you can't always get what you want. Right? So that was the idea. This idea was, huh? What do you mean you can get what you want? The second life-altering idea was Halbert. And so Halbert said the solution to every problem I would put in parentheses, also opportunity, is a great sales letter. Now, it's a slight exaggeration. By Halbert standards, it's a really slight exaggeration. But it's a lot truer than it is false. Don't jump ahead of me into the example yet. We'll get there. So I basically buy this principle. Right? The answer to every problem is a great sales letter. Handful of years ago at a mid-year, I had a longtime friend of mine. His name's George Douglas. George passed away now, I don't know, two years ago or three years ago. But George, in his mid-70s, I think, really needed a heart transplant or he was going to be dead. And so he was in the stage fading already, you know, up for 30 minutes and then go lay down, water on the lungs, everything. And George was turned down by his doctor in the hospital he was affiliated with, every hospital where he lived, 
Mayo turned him down, combination of his age, his other health problems, and not money, because George write a check, but his age, his other health problems, and the severity of, of the heart-related problems. So there's more to the story, but the short part of the story is, so George, who believes this principle, went to the library, and he researched, and he built himself a list of every hospital that is progressive at all in the way they approach heart surgery. And he built himself a big sales letter and pictures of all his grandkids and him on his boat. And he put together a big package and he FedExed it to everybody, selling them on why he should get a heart transplant. DeVos, who had all the money in the world, co-founder of Amway, they wouldn't give him one either. He went to England and bought it. Um, so George sends these packages out. I forget the number now, but a couple hundred of them anyway, maybe more. Only three respond. So he goes and sees all three of them. So that got him in the door. Two of them re refuse ultimately, but one says, okay, we'll do it. If we get a heart, nobody else wants. And of course, you gotta be a resident six months of where the hospital is in order to get it. And you're gonna have to be on call, so you're gonna have to hang out and wait, because if we get one, if we get one, of course, we gotta stick it in you quick, right? So he and Jeannie moved to wherever this was, I don't remember, and they rent an apartment, and George is slowly getting worse and worse and dying, but finally the call comes, and they got a heart from a drug addict, drug peddler, who just died in a gunfire over a drug deal, and they wouldn't put his heart in anybody, but we'll stick it in you. So he got his heart, and he lived for another six, seven years, I don't know, and he had a happy rest of his life, and met the woman, the mother of the drug guy, and they went out on their boat together and so forth. But the point of the matter is, he solved this problem with a great sales letter, and it might not be able to solve the problem any other way. So it's Halbert's principle. And there are any number of times, not to make money, but to solve some other issue, that I resort to the sales letter in order to get what I want. So about eh, a week ago now, a week and a half, um, my regular eye exam, it turns out I knew I was having a little trouble, and had been told I had a very slow developing cataract. Well, it decided not to be slow. So I'm like 60% blind at the moment in my left eye. The right eye's doing all the work. So like if I cover the right eye, I can barely see, you're a blur, you're something, but you could be a man, you could be a woman, you could be, somebody hasn't made up your mind yet, you could be, um, it's possible you could be an animal, okay? That's the deal. And so I can't, like this, well, the E on the eye chart, I can only tell her it's an E because I know it's a friggin' E, right? I'm not, really, I'm not really reading the E if you cover my right eye. So I now have no choice. Get a, you know. And our dog, you know, she's 15 this year, she's pretty much blind too. So the plan of having her lead me around is now out the window. I mean, 
we're both bumping into each other now, and we're both growling every time we, we do it. Charlie Jarvis's old joke was, if you're really lucky, you know, at a certain age, um, um, you can get one dog to lead you around and chew your food for you. So, uh, uh, by the way, have you guys heard Jarvis? Uh, Len? Oh, we got to find a way to get you some of Charlie Jarvis. He's a dentist. He's the only dentist ever to do stand-up comedy on the Carson show. Um, he's a humor speaker, and he's got some great dental material. His routine about the guy coming in, the farmer coming into the dental office who snapped all his teeth because a bee flew in his mouth. It's classic. It's just classic shit. Anyway, so I now got to get cataract surgery, which I don't like doctors. I don't, I don't want any of this. So got the referral. So here's what I want. If you will, here's my problem. I not only want an appointment when I want it, not before, not after, exactly when I want it. But I want to be treated different than everybody else. I want to be the VIP coming into this office to people I have never met before. And it's not like I'm being referred there by, well, anybody famous. My regular optometrist is at Walmart. So it ain't like I'm starting with somebody that probably has, like, an enormous amount of clout in the world. So I'm going to have to do this from scratch. So now what everybody else would do when they get their referral is they would go home and they would call the, the eye surgeon's office and they would say, Dr. Darris says I'm blind and I need to come in there and when can I get an appointment? Not me, because that, that'll accomplish the first thing probably, but it won't accomplish the second thing. Right? I am not going to be treated differently than everybody else throughout this entire process by this. Hence the sales letter you just got. So I write myself a sales letter. That's what I do. And I put it in a package with a bunch of my books and I FedEx it. That's my scheme. So you have the actual sales letter, which tells them who I was referred to. It tells them I'll be calling them to set up an appointment. It tells them I'm not yet blind, but it's a blur. After the wall size D, I can't read any letters. It tells them why this is serious to me, because both things I do require seeing. It tells them my schedule is complicated, but here's where I have windows where I could do an appointment. Here's where I have windows where we could do the cutting and the pasting. Here's where you could get my eye exam records. Here's where you can get the rest of my health records if you need them. Here's because I know they're going to gripe about my blood sugar numbers, so i got to preempt that. Okay, so here's my little conversation about my blood sugar numbers. Here's money. Money is not a consideration. Charge me whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Success is the issue. Right? And here's all my contact information. The day the FedEx arrived, director of surgery is on the phone. <laughs> Apologizing profusely because he's in Spain for a week. So we didn't want to wait till he got back. And we didn't want to wait till you called. 
and we want to get you in here, and we can do any one of those days you named, which one would you like? I'll make room for you in his appointment schedule. There's three offices. He moves around, right? So I named the day, right? Oh, on that day, he's scheduled to be in Kent, which is probably, well, it's the furthest of the three offices from me. Twinsburg's the closest to me. And I say, well, okay. She says, well, which is closest to you? I said, Twinsburg. She said, I'll just rearrange his week. We'll have him in Twinsburg that day, and we'll put him in Kent on another one. So you come to Twinsburg. All right, great. Okay, fine. Now, by the time I get there, right, everybody's going to have the red carpet out and the cup of tea, and he's going to be great, and I'm going to be able to get things pretty much the way I want them. So I tell you this because the sales letter and the skills that wrap around it can do more for you than just make you money. They can solve problems. They can grease wheels so things go better. In most cases where I know there is a variance of how people are treated. And most people are treated not very well. I am almost always going to use this in advance of the first conversation. So like I would never call to hire a speaker from a speaker's bureau for the first time without landing one of these puppies at the Speaker's Bureau. So preferably now they call me, but at bare minimum I've prepped the way this is going to go. So it goes the way I want it to go. By the way, nobody's ever smart enough to do this to me. So the flip side of this is, of course, we make all kinds of unreasonable demands of the way people do business with me, and we get away with it, right? But to everybody else, they have their rules. They just won't stick to them. You can move almost everybody with this strategy. So I've been collegial. I've been funny, right? I've been pleasant. But I have also made myself an important person that has to be dealt with as an important person. I've sent gifts, so I've obligated a little bit, and I've made myself interesting because of the racing. Oh, there's a DVD in there of the horse races, too. So there's a DVD with three horse races on it in there. In case you're curious and you haven't been to North Northfield, because it's local, I thought you'd like to see me in a couple races. Post-it note. Okay, so there's a box of stuff. There's this letter. Everything's going to go my way. I do this a lot. Right? It's how I got into Cleveland Clinic in the first place to Royzen, who's Dr. Oz's business partner. I said, okay, if I'm finally going to go to a medical doctor after all these years, I'm going to go to the best guy I can find. How am I going to get to this guy? Box of stuff, FedEx, assistant calls. 
Dr. Royce will be, be happy to see you. Not taking any other patients this month, but be happy to see you. Right? So this is how to make your life better with sales letters. Right? And it's a very real thing. So if you're going to go to a resort on vacation, spouse and family, you've never been there before, and you really want it to go great, box of stuff. Hey, we're coming to your resort. Just thought you'd like to know a little bit about us to the manager. Here's a couple of my books. Here's who I am. Here's where we've stayed before. Not looking for any special treatment. Just thought you'd like to know I'm coming. Are you going to get special treatment? Does anybody else do it? No. Nobody else does it. Not in a zillion years does anybody else do it. This works, though. It works all the time. Yep. Oh, it did it, plus the box of stuff, you know. I mean, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, right? I didn't need to belabor the point. But there's pages in the books post-it noted, so if they don't read the whole book, if he just goes and reads six pages, I mean, so I jerry-rigged the books. I sent the DVD. There's a copy of last month's media package. So there's the marketing letter, the affluent letter, the diamond letter, et cetera. So they got that. So really, if you add up even just that, you're up now to, what, 40 pages of stuff, right? Um, and some would be more than others, right? So I didn't tell you that, but when we ran all the estate planner people through, I made the private banker give them all a prep package about me before they came to the appointment. Because I'd rather have the most productive appointment I can, plus I want them really working to try and get me. Plus, in that, I tell them all the rules, right? So if you do get me, you can't email me, right? See, the same thing here. See, this stops that crap, because I've told them, okay? Hey, by the way, I know this is weird, but you know, I don't use that shit, and here's my contact information, Right? No cell phone, no email. So now, they ain't gonna bug me about that crap. Right? And I gotta do it. I did talk to her. Um, get your insurance information ahead of time, right? And my wallet was out in the car. I leave it in the car all the time. I'm down in my basement office. I said, I have it, right? You know, I'll go up and get, oh, no, 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 don't inconvenience yourself. Just bring the card. We'll take care of it when you're here. Now, that one dumb thing with them, but see, they don't know any better. So they send out a package of stuff, including the form you got to fill out, you know, so you got it in advance, um, which I'll send you the form so you fill it out in advance so you won't wait a minute when you get here. You'll go right in to see Dr. Jones. Great, that's exactly what I want, right? I want to show up at... 10, and I want to be out of there, 10 after 10, which means we better start at 10. Well, they, and they sent the brochure, and you know, but they sent it by mail. How much better an impression, three-day FedEx, right? 
I'd feel better, I'd be more likely to refer, all that. But see, they, you know, they don't know. But, and I ain't getting paid, so it's not like I'm going to try and educate them. But, but this works a lot. You can do a lot with the written word. So you can grease your skids anywhere. If you're going to a real expensive restaurant two weeks from now, you're taking your spouse for your anniversary, send them a letter. Just thought you'd like to know I'm coming in. We're coming in for our 82nd anniversary. And um, my wife's a wine freak, so we're really excited about your wine cellar. And here's a copy of my book. And here's why you're going to get treated any different when you get to the restaurant than if you didn't do it? You bet you are. Absolutely. So pretty much you all got what you need to play this game with, right? Because you are important people, and you can make yourself sound important even if you aren't, right? And if you don't have a book, there's an article about you, Wolf Earth. You guys have been in Sports Illustrated, for God's sakes. You were just in Forbes, right, on your little bicycle, right? So if you're going somewhere to ride your damn bicycle, you want to send a letter ahead of time, I'm coming and staying at your hotel, and I'm bringing my little fold-up electric bicycle with me, and here's the article that was written about me and my little bicycle in Forbes. You're going to get a better room? Yeah, you're going to get a better room. I mean, it's that simple. When Disney solved my complaint the one time, I found out after the fact, they not only knew I held meetings there, but she had gone online to educate herself about who I was before she decided how to deal with the problem. So the smart ones, so like the estate planners, none of them, okay, went on their own. When I went through this with private bankers, only one had taken the time to educate themselves before they came to the appointment. So they all have to ask, hey, what do you do anyway? Asshole, you know, I mean, Type me in, dipshit, before you come to the appointment and try and sell me something, right? You, you, you could look smart instead of stupid. Um, um, uh, the Cleveland Clinic's annuity salespeople did it on their own, not prompted. And I didn't do this with them. And they had actually done research. Now, they didn't thoroughly understand what they saw, but they understood enough to sound like they'd done some homework. Right? Uh, so we see it's a, it's kind of confusing because you're this speaker guy, you're this marketing guy, and then you're racing these horses. My dad used to go to the track all the time and tell, tell us about that. A much better place to start this conversation than, let me sell you some annuities, and oh, by the way, what do you do? Right? It's like, like pet peeve with salespeople. So to do that research, when I was selling face-to-face, nose-nose, toes-toes, you had to go to the library. You had to go through the newspaper archives to find out something about somebody local in your marketplace. Now that you don't have to, even fewer people do it. It's like, how can you be going and making a sales call without having tried to... Well, because they show everybody the same stupid sales presentation, right? They got it on their laptop, every single one of them, by the way opens up their damn laptop to their PowerPoints presentation. You know, I'm thinking, ay, ay, ay. Actually, the one that got me didn't do it. She had a legal pad. Roy's in a Cleveland Clinic's really good because they got all these PowerPoint presentations. 
And he said, I got one, but I'm not going to show it to you. We'll just talk with my legal pad. Now, I know he's doing the PowerPoint presentation on the legal pad. That's what he's doing. Because he shifts from smooth to not smooth conversationally. I'd still rather have it on a legal pad. There's some sense he's thinking instead of reciting, right? But anyway, I thought you'd maybe find that cool. And you might find it useful. Because why not have stuff the way you want? And you have a big advantage over everybody else. Number one, you know how to do a sales letter. And number two, nobody else is going to do it. Um, as a consumer of things, nobody is going to sell themselves to the provider in order to get preferential treatment. But it works 100% of the time. I've never missed with this. So let's do some Q&A. Uh, we'll wrap up. We got like 45 minutes to do Q&A. So let's do some Q&A, and then we will call it a day. And I should tell you, we're at, what did Vicky tell me? We are at nine for persona. So we have a little ways to go to do that. We are at 46 for next year. It's a done deal. We're going to do next year. Um, um, yes. Yeah, because I bumped you before. So, but it better be good. How can I swipe this letter to get an appointment with a prospect? Well, it's not the same. Um, because the prospect has the power. So you have to, you're selling benefit of an appointment, right? I, and the busier, the more important I am, the less willing I am to give up time and attention, right? So you have an argument to make, not just about how cool and interesting and charming and handsome and short you may be, but about why this is beneficial to me. In this reversal, I'm the customer. So the power is with me, even if they're busy, which they are. But beyond that, I'm not asking for anything they don't do anyway. Okay? All I'm doing is scheduling an appointment. Well, they would have done that probably, no matter what, if I had just called. I'm just now trying to control the appointment. And the doctor and the staff, in this case, okay, and the process. Okay. So they're really two different things. Um, what I will say about using marketing in general and sales letters in specific to get appointments is really what you're substituting is you're substituting it for prospecting, for cold prospecting, right? So again, we have a door-to-door -door salesman in an envelope. 
so human to human, or if we have to deal with the gatekeeper, human to gatekeeper, if we could get the person on the phone, what would we do that would get us an appointment? And now we have to replicate that. You also want to look for leverage. So the one commonality is leverage. So Adam and his people would tell you that the Forbes books ownership of that changes everything for the cold phone call versus advantage. So if their salesperson calls a Fortune 1000 company, and gets to the CEO's secretary and wants to get the CEO on the phone and talk to him about why he should do a book. If, hi, I'm calling from Advantage, lots of luck. The minute you substitute, hi, I'm calling from Forbes Books, and I want to talk to your CEO, John Smith, about why he might do a book with us at Forbes, the game is entirely different. Right? You could do the same thing. He could do the same thing, by the way, with FedEx sales letters, and they'd call him. Right? So he just happens to have a room full of telephone people and is used to using them. So now that's a, so the principle is leverage, right? If you can inject leverage into what you're doing, it'll work better. Right? So now the principle suggests the strategy, which the strategy in what Adam has done is, there's not much leverage in my entity, so I'm going to go rent one, borrow one, buy one, license one, right, that gives me leverage to get the phone appointment that I want. The tactic now is how do you apply it once you have it? Do you put them on the outside of an envelope? Do you the Lee I. Coca story I told versus the Statue of Liberty? So they did the right thing, and then they tactically screwed it up. So strategically, they did exactly the right thing. We want to get Fortune 1000 CEOs, and this is in the 1980s, to give us donations to rebuild Ellis Island. So we'll go, they're not going to pay a lot of attention to us, but they'll pay attention, who will they pay attention to? Oh, Lee Iacocca. So we'll go get, because he's Italian, he came through Ellis Island, he's a big shot CEO. So we'll go get Lee Iacocca to use for this. So principle of leverage, strategically correct. Then they muck it up tactically by only putting them in the inside of the envelope but not putting them on the outside of the envelope. Right? So everything is always, what's the principle? What's the strategy? What's the tactic? Right? So. The answer to the question you just asked me is in the dissertation I just gave you. It's the framework to find the specific answer. Okay? All right, who's next? Who was up here next? Uh, two things. First, a comment, and second, a question. The comment is, it's interesting you're trying to sell us an $8,500 thing with three pages of copy versus long copy. Um, and, well, and I did want to read more about it, so I was left hanging. Well, so you're right, by the way. Um, um, but it's one of the things that I only want to do it if it's easy. 
So I don't, it's like, it'll be great to do, but I don't have to do it. I don't need to do it. I don't have a burning, it's not a financial issue with me, so fine. Now that doesn't mean if we wind up at nine that there's not going to be a much longer sales letter land on somebody's desk uh, to get the other four because there probably will. But you're actually right. So I buy it. it. The second is we didn't really talk about newsletters. I saw the page you had. Yeah, I skipped it for time. Yeah. Um, so as you know, we send out a eight-page full-color self-mailer, six to 7,000 people a month. So I'm always looking to, you know, where can I cut corners, decrease the cost, you know, increase response, and we have tracking phone numbers so I know, you know, what we're getting out of it, et cetera. Um, one of the things I'm thinking of doing is having sponsors, you know, local car dealerships. If you, want to, if you want to create a free ride, you can. Sometimes that's worthwhile. Sometimes it's LeGrand's quote is stepping over dollars to pick up nickels. So sometimes it's more of a, you know, distraction and extra chore than is worthwhile. I mean, look, you, you do a good job. So the thing about newsletters is, first of all, everybody ought to do one, and everybody ought to do a print one. It's the foundation that keeps everything else kind of in place, right? Because it allows you to communicate consistently, to show up frequently and regularly, to maintain a relationship, and not always be doing a booty call to sell something, right? So it doesn't have to justify its existence directly by revenue produced and tracked in order to justify its existence. There are such things, even in the world of direct response. A, another example would be a celebrity at an event. And clients will often say, well, will, he, will we sell enough extra tickets to pay his fee? Well, probably not, but there's five reasons to have them there. Not one. Buying mood on the premises is another one. Uh, social media stuff after the fact, buzz is another one, right? So you don't have to hold it to that tight of a standard, right? And you definitely don't have to do that with a newsletter. That doesn't mean you can't use it as an advertising vehicle as you do. Um, also, I counsel people all the time, your newsletter should train people to respond, and you don't want it just to be about they're ready to come in this month to get some veins clipped. So you want contests they can enter, and you want free reports and free stuff that they can get. I'm a big believer in the free report, in the health field, I'm a big believer in the free report of the month offer that rotates around. So every newsletter, there's a free report about varicose veins. There's a free report about, I don't know what else, but that you write. So um, I'm not a big fan of worrying about, gee, can we cut the cost by 5% by to be candid. Um, uh, the, um, the other advertiser, the sponsor, the free ride issue. So it's best, if you're going to do it, 
and you're going to now involve a sponsor or you're going to let three play, whatever. It's best now to make that an even bigger relationship and to pick your partner in a way that is more beneficial to you than just offsetting the cost of the newsletter and is candidly more beneficial to them than just the direct advertising. So first of all, you have a media package. You don't just have one media. You have your newsletter. You have a website. You have offices. You run events. So you have a conversation to have with somebody, the Lexus dealer, the, the spa, well, you're in the spa business, the, the high-end ladies' apparel store, somebody, about, I have this package we can do. And they may not be as savvy as you are, but they still have some media. They have a list. You have a list. So if you're going to go to the trouble to do it, my advice is to do it really strategically and do it as a way to get into customers, not just to get a little money. Does that, that make sense to you? Yeah. So I have a question about uh, using sales letters in combination with uh, webinars. So I sell info products using webinars that I fill up using Facebook ads or email. I'm in a Dutch market. And I've sold over a million and a half in uh, info products using this webinar, which is converting very well. The only thing I haven't cracked the code of is the follow-up for non-buyers. So people that are in the webinar that show up, but they don't buy. They stick around until the end, until the sales pitch, but they don't buy. I've tried replays. doesn't work. Um, the webinar is a pitch that lasts only for the duration of the webinar. The offer ends at the end of the webinar, so high pressure. And the, I was wondering, because you had the format for the appointment no sale, I, I got the idea of sending them, the no buyers, non buyers, a sales letter after a webinar, collecting their address at sign up for the webinar to get, I don't know, the seven tips from the webinar by mail. Yep. And then send the non buyers a sales letter. Do you think, I, I, was, I wanted, just wanted to run it by you, do you think well, that would work? And assuming, would there's an, so assuming there's enough numbers to make all of this worthwhile. So first, so first of all, I can tell you that appointment no sale applies. So, roll letters, teleseminars, we added the FedEx package afterwards, Think and Grow Rich infomercial, the bailouts at the call center, we added, we sent them a cassette tape of the show, the audio of the show, and a sales letter. Um, so, see, the webinar is no different than the success event and me on stage and the sales letter afterwards. So, the appointment no sale strategy absolutely applies. Now, tactically, whether it turns out a long sales letter built from the webinar alone is sufficient, whether that and a DVD of the webinar with additional content and testimonials should be there, whether the same offer, I've extended it for the following reasons, for 72 hours, whether a 
trimmed down offer. So there's a lot of tactical things to split test, guess at, figure out. Strategically, absolutely. Right? Almost certainly, again, if there's enough numbers, the solution you are selling them to their problem desire, they are rejecting some percentage of those who won't buy. They are just rejecting that specific solution. They're not denying the problem and desire that brought them there in the first place, right? So think weight loss, and we're selling a gym membership. And they come to the webinar, and it's phenomenal. And we convince them in every way, shape, or form that they should join. But they, this person absolutely will not come to a gym, period, no matter what. Right? But he'd buy a gym in a box, even if you told him it was half as effective. Somebody's going to sell him thermonuclear pills that burn the fat off in atomic explosions uh, right after he eats a donut. Okay, somebody's so, so like we sell this fix the phone thing, fix the front desk thing to dentists. At a certain point, they won't buy that. But what brought them to the table, they still want. If anything, we made the want worse through our sales process that they have now rejected the red shovel. Right? We actually ginned up their annoyance with their income and staff not making them money and still having to work as hard as they did 10 years ago. We've actually made that more acute, but they absolutely are not going to buy the red shovel. So at some point, here's a blue shovel. Fine. We give up. Your phones are fine. Let's fix your hygiene department. So let's get the hygienist to refer three times as many patients across the hall. And here's how we can do that. And now some number of them will buy that. So when you're, generate, when you're generating enough numbers, you have to think about when you do these switches to completely monetize the leads, right? So most businesses see only monetize their customers. That's what they do. Right? So, small business. God knows how many people call the steakhouse at the casino by the track this week about a reservation for Saturday night who don't make a reservation for Saturday night. Or go to the online reservation site and don't make their reservation. I don't know, but I assure you it's a significant number. Well, there's no monetization of that at all by anybody. The only people they monetize are the people who make a reservation and come in. And that's what all their thinking is about. Can we sell them wine? Can we sell them more expensive wine? Can we get them to pre-order the dessert that has to be made in advance? Yada, 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 right? So they only monetize the customer. They don't monetize the unconverted leads. Everybody's got more unconverted leads than they got customers, whether they know it or not. And they don't do anything to monetize the unconverted lead. So there's always a lot of opportunity here. And 
you can get at it sometimes online. So replays do work for people sometimes, not always. Not that it works always. But email sequences may work. Driving back to, there's only 12 hours left. There's only six hours left. There's only three hours left. Offline will work as well. But you're always going to have more unconverted leads than you're going to have buyers. I mean, even in a room. So, like, he's pretty good as a financial advisor, but he's split half and half. So, and he might be exaggerating his prowess by a point or two. So, he's probably got a few more unconverteds than converteds. But, so, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, again, there's a lot of reasons people don't buy right away when we want them to buy that don't mean they're going to even reject the red shovel if they're given enough of an opportunity to be side they're okay with the red shovel. And then when they finally won't take the red shovel, somebody's going to sell them a blue shovel. Might as well be you or somebody you get money from, right? Because most people who have an itch, so let's say the weight loss customer, and they have reached a point that this is acute enough to them that they are responding to things. They are going to buy something from somebody in the near term. And if they don't buy, and in many cases, they're actually going to buy several things from several people all in the short term. But they're going to buy something. So if they came to the Weight Watchers meeting and didn't buy, they're going to buy something. They're going to stop at Walgreens on the way home, and they're going to buy some diet pills. They're going to join the fat person gym, Planet Fitness. No judgment. Come in. Sit around. Be fat. It's okay. Give us nine bucks a month and have a teach T-shirt. Um, I mean, they're going to buy something. The question is whether you're going to get any of the money. That's, you know, always, that's always the question. Okay? Carol? Okay, thank you. Just <laughs> thank about you halfway where you had it. There you go. Okay, um, thank you for sharing that letter that you had with the for your eyes. That was awesome. So I have a question about um, copywriting. When you talked about, you talked quite a bit about the architecture of the copy, and then you talked about um, sequencing and switching up the sequence. So are those mutually compatible ideas? Sure. So the big long sequence I showed you was four sequences within the sequence. Something changing for each one. Price, terms, offer, um, and, but it's one long and it's tight. It's, if I remember right, it's 63 steps in 58 days. So I mean, we're right on top of them. So I don't see any incompatibility. I don't see the problem with the question. Is the compatibility question about the nature of the copy and the fact that you're in pursuit? Well, yeah, if you're like, changing up, like you talked about, you know, sending out the same letter in a different order. But if you change the order, aren't you changing the architecture of that letter? No, because every letter really has everything every letter has. So letter number four 
really the only thing that's changing is it's saying the same things almost in the same order, but it's getting nastier, right? It's, it's getting nastier. Okay. So it's a tone issue. Oh. It's not a content issue, okay? So college, so we have a, the first thing that has, that we're trying to make happen is a campus visit. So there's a whole sequence to get you to put High Point on your list when you load the kids in the van and you go two or eight colleges. We need you to show up. It's a whole sequence for that, right? Now, everybody that does that, the ones who don't buy immediately, the next thing we need is early decision. So that's when the kid signs a non-binding I'm going to come there, and he stops talking to other colleges. So that sequence gets sterner as it goes along. The one to the parent says different things than the one to the kid, and it's up against a deadline of when early decision opportunities go away. So like you don't get to pick your dorm room now, you get whatever's left, and we assign it to you. That stuff, right? The, the content is really the same in every one of the 16 steps in that box. The tone is changing. The front real estate maybe is changing. The voice it's from. So one of the steps is from a happy student who is so thrilled he did early decision. Because if he had waited, yada, 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 and my buddy waited, you know, and he's still happy here, but he's not as happy as I am. Cause, okay. But if you laid them side by side and you analyze them from a copy standpoint, it's the same damn letter. And the stuff's in the same order. And it's built on the same structure. In this case, problem, agitate problem, solve problem, right? So um, um, they there's a sequence depending on how they self-select. So when the kid now ranks his concerns, he may get a different sequence than your kid gets based on his concern. So if the kid has confessed that his number one concern is, I'll stand out like a sore thumb because I'm coming from California to North Carolina. I think there's still bears roaming around on campus and nobody will like me, and how will I make friends? Well, we have a sequence for him. But it's nuance changes and collateral changes. So all the, the little testimonial booklet he gets is all people who are afraid they weren't going to be able to make friends, right? The kid whose concern is actually what it should be, for example, am I going to be able to get a job in my major? Well, now he's got a whole sequence about that. The structure of it, we take his problem, we agitate that problem and make it even worse. The overwhelming majority of people in life, they don't get a job in their major, they're working at Starbucks with two college degrees, yada, 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 yada. We guarantee that's not going to happen to you. 89% of our kids get careers in their major or graduate. But the architecture is the same, and the rest of the content about the school is the same. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Awesome, thank you. Okay. 
Dan, two, two quick questions on related subjects. The first one on the newsletters, which I wish you would have spent more time on, but uh, is it better to stick a newsletter in an envelope or have the newsletter be sort of a self-mailer on its own? And is it better to like keep it at an eight and a half by 11 size or fold that in half and... In most environments, other than B2B where there's gatekeepers, none of those questions matter much. They could all matter a little, but none of those questions matter a lot. The main things that matter are consistency, constancy, frequency. So frequency, four times a year, don't bother. Six times a year, barely, is okay. Twelve. If I subscribe to a magazine, when do I get it? Twelve times. Right? So frequency matters. Okay? Constancy matters, meaning you show up at the same time every month like you're supposed to. They know you're coming the second week of every month. If they like it, they're looking for it. They'll call you if it's not there because they'll miss it. That's that. Consistency is, from a content standpoint, there's a consistency to what you're doing. Format, content, style, right? So, not that you have to mimic what I do, but I'll use it as an example, okay? So, some things change over the years a little, but if you go back and get a 1994 No BS Marketing letter, and you get a current no BS marketing letter, there's an awful lot of elements that are completely consistent. There's always been an opening monologue. They're always, that's never gone, never changed. There's always an opening monologue. Um, there's, um, there's always been some version of an inbox of small little bite-sized things people can digest. Okay, there's a mix between snarky comedy, which is the stuff that tends to get forwarded, by the way. Um, core content, you know, so you have to decide what you're about. And then you want to be consistent. Now, you get all the way back to your questions. The most important thing about the delivery question, is it self-mailed? Is it in an envelope? Is it big? Is it small? The most important thing about the delivery question is, Will it get lost or discarded? So as long as the format you're using, delivered into the environment it's being delivered, will get to the recipient, it doesn't matter. So if self-mailer is likely now to be tossed by a gatekeeper, it damn well better be in an envelope. Right. If there's no empowered gatekeeper who's going to toss it, there's no harm in self-mail. Full size, folded, make a damn bit of difference, unless folding it up ruins it when I open it back up. Size, well, if you're trying to really impress people, like the Disney magazine, it's almost to the point of being cumbersome in size. Uh, we have clients who mail, Pete uses a version of it now, I have clients who mail what we call the smallest newsletter in the world. It's a postcard. 
you know, and it's got one little item on it, and it's got some quotes, and it's got a little cartoon, and it's got a lead generation offer, and it mails every month. So this stuff is not the important thing. The, the most important content thing is that it's gluey, that people like it, and they want to get it, and they want to see what you're up to next, and they want to get the joke of the month, and they want to, you know. So I just saw a thing. There's a show on Fox. Um, it's called The Five. It's on at 5 o'clock every day, and it's got five panelists on it. It's not very good. It used to be better. Um, nonetheless, so there's five people on it. There's only a couple of them that are constants, and the rest of them move in and out. Okay? But one of them is um, Gutfeld, who has his own show. He used to be the editor of Men's Health way back when. And he's kind of the comedy guy. Dana Perino, who used to be Bush's press secretary, is on there. Um, and so it's political opinion light. Right? It's kind of the view for conservatives. And there's one liberal who they beat up. Right? Just like the view has one conservative they beat up. So it's a political light talk show at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So I just saw in Variety the email they get from viewers. Here's, here it is ranked in what they get the most email about. Are you ready? Dana Perino's dog. Number one. Because she talks about her dog. She shows pictures of her dog. She's got the dog flying around with her. The dog's at the book tour. The dog... More email about Dana Perino's dog than anything. And they're all going to Facebook and posting pictures of their dogs so Dana Perino's dog can see their dog and on and on. This is number one. Number one. Number two. Dana Perino's corny jokes. Once a week, toward the end of the show, Dana Perino does corny jokes. I saw it the other night. So. Why can't the frog drive to work? Because his car's towed. <laughs> this is the second thing they get the most response about. Third thing they get the most response about. Gutfeld's snarky response to something. So he has a little monologue he does in every one of the shows. And it's nasty funny. It's the third thing they get. So think about it. The dog, the jokes, the comedic monologue. But it's a political talk show. Well, see, that's the truism now of everything and all of us. So like the worst customer newsletters ever, which Sean Buck won't let anybody do, is the auto repair shop who's sending out the newsletter all about auto repair. Right? And oh, winter's coming, so... Here's an entire issue about everything that can go wrong with your car in the winter and how you need to get the pipes checked. And the, the, who cares, right? But the, the guy that owns the auto repair shop went fishing this summer, and he caught the biggest fish he's ever caught in his life. And here's a picture of my fish. And I, that everybody wants to talk about. 
So the thing has to be gluey. It has to make people like you. And what are you up to next? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And what are you doing? And you went to Disney, and what did you see? And on and on and on and on. So if you take my, and this is free stuff you're sending out, but it's even true if they were paying. So if you take mine, and we have a very high lifer rate, the room is testament to it. Now, we have a big number that come and go, of course, like corn through a goose with diarrhea. But, but the ones who stick and stay around forever, we have a very, I'm really good at it. So take the newsletter, get yourself some highlighter pens, and assign colors. So use yellow for core content, teaching about marketing. Use orange for content about how to do other things, anything. Business management, time management, hiring, whatever. And I use orange for that. Pick another color. Use blue for political opinion. Use red for being funny. Use green for personal story. I went here. I did this. I fell off. I, I, and go through. Pick any newsletter you want or take six of them. And go through and color code them all. You're going to see the ratio I use is consistent. The variance isn't much from thing to thing, percentage of total content. And if you go back 10 years and do it, you're going to see it hasn't changed much either. Furthermore, you're going to see that the core content is the least of all the content. So this thing you're paying 60 bucks a month for, just now a reveal if you weren't already aware of it. Right? The core content about marketing is about three bucks worth. The rest of it is other stuff because the clicks on the dial of the marketing, pretty much everybody in here could teach the marketing stuff. We've already covered that ground. Not that there's not value in reinforcement and going around the dial again, but that's not what keeps people around. Right? That's not the deal. So, like I always have an opening monologue. I got it from Regis. So, Regis Philbin's been on TV. He's been in living rooms on television, if you count local and national, more hours than anybody in the history of television. He's we just felt it. And probably nobody's ever going to break his record. Carson didn't break the record. So probably nobody's going to break the record. Regis has never varied. Local talk show in LA, national show, don't matter who's with him, Kathy Lee, Susie Smith, don't make any difference. Regis is always the newspaper, the opening monologue, and, uh, and the story about what he did last night that annoyed him. That's Regis's opening monologue. 1960, 1970, 1990, 2000. I got it, okay? Here's the elements. If I was going to be Regis, if I was going to do a talk show tomorrow, you have to hit me over the head with a brick. Here's what we're doing. Right? 
It's the thing everything else now rests on. The promotion of the month, the deal of the week, the promotion of the quarter, the periodic event, the sale of the century, the new thing that's happening, they're changing the tax law, so you gotta call up, your clients gotta get in here for a review because they're fixing the Roth IRA thing and they're gonna screw you. The, all this stuff rests on top of a relationship. And the foundation of that relationship that everybody can do with a customer base, whether they have 10, 100, 1,000, or a million, is the newsletter. And then everything else rests on it. So it is, as the sales letter, so here's another way to say it to you. As the sales letter is the door-to-door -door salesman stuffed in an envelope, the newsletter is the drop by on the way home and sit on the porch and have a lemonade with your neighbor for a half an hour and shoot the shit. That's what the newsletter is. In a more business thing, it's you and your business peer slash buddy having your monthly lunch. That's what it is. So if, I, so if I dropped by your house and we hung out for an hour, it would be what I deliver to you every month. And I discard a lot of stuff that doesn't sort of fit that model. Right? So constancy, consistency, frequency, the format issue is, will it get to the recipient? No less, no more. And the content includes lead generation or promotion, but it doesn't have to justify its existence by a direct dollar ROI from that. So there's what I would have done if I hadn't cheated it yesterday on newsletters. You're frowning. No, that's very insightful. I appreciate that. The, okay. second, the second real quick, quick question. Some of the old stuff, the, the, like Gary Halbert's um, promotion for the coat of arms, which I remember getting one of those when I was in junior high school, or my parents getting one. And then as somebody who's taken advantage or took advantage of Bob Stupak's offer several times when I was in college, could those be resurrected and... You could do them today. Yeah, the Halbert thing would be a little more difficult because there's so much online. Free and, you know, D whatever they are is in that business and Ancestry.com essentially is in that business. So it would be tougher today and as in many cases, the profit would be pushed further back in the process. So in the original Halbert business, your $9 family coat of arms on parchment paper um, um, immediately led to the $39 sale. There was profit at, 39, at the second sale. Today, it'd be pushed further back. 
you'd go further negative. And you'd probably be in the DNA kit business is probably the business you'd be in. But fundamentally, sure, it would work. The Stupac offer is even cleaner. I mean, I tried to get Debbie Reynolds to do it. It would have worked with Debbie, and it would work today. Particularly, so he was really, what's left of what he did is on, what considered today on the strip, but the stratosphere. Now, it's at the butt end of it, but it's considered on the strip. When Vegas, when it was Vegas World, it really wasn't, it was considered in the ghetto. It wasn't on the strip. So you could take an off-the-strip casino. If you know Vegas, think about the Rio. So you could take the Rio, or you could take a kind of a dump on the strip, so the Imperial Palace, before they knocked it down. You could take the exact same Stupac offer, and you could run that offer today, and it would work. There's no reason why it wouldn't. Okay. The, first of all, the principle, the Lady Luck copied it for a while, a dump in downtown Vegas. Um, they sent a limo to the airport to pick you up. The whole campaign was live like a high roller at a low roller price, and the package was really Stupac's price. The Lady Luck, if you've heard, oh my God. I mean, it, this is, I mean, there's cockroaches, and, you know, it's gone now, but it was horrible. But $600 for $300 is persuasive. So the principle of Stupac's thing was irresistible offer. If somebody is at all tempted to come to Vegas, they can't pass up on this. They just can't. And then, how do you deliver it? And who do you deliver it to? That's all now strategy. And then the tactics. Today, you'd have to deal with online. So the only real problem for that offer today is you would have a lot of negativity online. You would have bad Yelp reviews, and you would have people pissing and moaning on Facebook, you know, that the place was under construction, which it was the entire time, because it started with one floor. So every time Bob sold enough packages, he built another floor. So, you know, the place was on construction, under construction constantly. So you would have all the negativity online to manage, but if you make it as a sale in a vacuum and it's an irresistible offer, it would work fine. And, and, and so broader to your question, the idea that, so piano lessons, they all laughed until I sat down and started to play. That entire, so the principle, right, is, is revenge, is is um, 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 satisfaction triumph over people who don't respect me, right? Um, they ran a version of that with, they all laughed when we went to dinner until I spoke to the waiter in French, right? Same thing, okay? So, see, that hasn't, that feeling, the driver of that hasn't changed ever. People are walking around every day thinking they're disrespected and disdained and, and they're pissed off about it. So it doesn't take much, you know, to trigger it pretty much in anybody. So you could take 
a music school and you can run the Caples ad with very little change in a local city magazine and drive to a free lesson. Now you got to make it an irresistible offer, right? So not only will you get a free lesson, but just in 39 minutes at your demonstration lesson, you'll master one song. So you will be able to play Moonlight Sonata forevermore. So you can go to the next party and you can sit down at the piano and they'll laugh until you play Moonlight Sonata. So you build the irresistible offer, right, to get them in for the demo and then you, make, you could run the whole campaign today and it'd be fine. And you could mail it and you could print at it. So mostly reaching back to the old. So Stupak offers, see there was a full page ad. There's a direct mail piece, which you can find, right? And um, uh, there were really three direct mail pieces over the years. You could cut paste that today and you could use it almost unchanged, right? Because human nature doesn't change, right? Media changes, technology changes. It brings us new opportunities and it brings us new problems like Yelp reviews, right? But human nature doesn't change. And furthermore, the old stuff, see, they had to work harder at it than almost anybody works at it today. I mean, look, they had to get, so Stupak, so you had to get somebody to go to the phone, call up to buy, and use a credit card. They couldn't just tap a button and order. They couldn't just go to the website and order. Some of the older stuff, I mean, the original Cables ad, the only way, the only way you can respond is what? You've got to write out a check. You've got to get an envelope. You've got to cut the coupon out of the ad and fill it out. And you've got to put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it, and not talk yourself out of it until you get to the post office. Well. Sugarman was the first guy to be able to take credit card orders with 800 numbers. I mean, before that, the credit card companies wouldn't let you do it. Right? So they had a much harder hill than we have now, which means they were better. They had to be. Right? So migrating out of there, I mean, I almost never do anything without that as one of the raw material stacks is what have I got that's 25, 30, 40, 50 years old that's in this category? I want to take a look at it. Because these guys were superhuman. I mean, they had to really crank. When you can send out 12 million emails for 12 cents and drive people to a landing page, you don't have to be that good. I mean, it's just not that difficult, right? Uh, you see somebody do something on YouTube. Well, shit, they had to spend 12 cents, right? We do an infomercial. It costs us a half a million dollars before we know if it's going to work or not. We're agonizing in the edit bay over a word. Can I clip a word out of what you just said in order to gain room to keep a word he said at the end? Nobody's doing that with a YouTube video. They're shooting it with their stupid phone and slapping it up there. Right? So even if it works, you ain't seeing 
genius in any stretch of the imagination. You go look at a proactive infomercial, I'm going to tell you right now. We, they got the last ones, they got a million dollars in them before they're done. Well, it's two weeks in an edit bay, five guys, a bunch of empty pizza boxes, nobody likes each other by the time it's over with. It's a lot of late nights. Everybody smells bad. I mean, it's an ugly process, and everybody's arguing over this, right? Same thing with these old ads. See, they're spending real money buying a real full page in a real newspaper. Everybody's agonizing over the subhead. What you see now, nobody's agonizing over the subhead. I mean, how many people do you really think in your field or any field, even our members who are in that field, how many before they send out a sales letter do you think get somebody to read it aloud, find all the places where they stumble and go fix it? What do you think the percentage is? Not very high. I can tell you because the economic pyramid of life tells us. 1% do it all the time. 4% do it often, 15% do it sometimes, and 80% never do it. That would be the best numbers, because that's how everything divides. 1%, 4%, 15%, 80%. That's how everything divides. If you put, I just wrote about it in the affluent letter. There's 2,200 and some odd billionaires in the world. So if you take the top 100, and now you look at their net worth, guess what? They divide 1%, 4%, 15%, and 80%. The top 100 billionaires. The spread between the bottom 80 and the top one is huge. It's a horrible evil. Economic injustice. They should take all the money from them and divide it up so they're all equal. I mean, good luck selling that plan. But so, but if you go back 30 years when everybody was spending real money, everybody agonized over it. So you see better shit than you see now in the old stuff. So it always is one of the things I want to look at. Now, that doesn't mean I ignore contemporary. And it doesn't mean there's not smart people doing smart, you know, like if you do financial stuff and you don't pay attention to Agora, you're like an idiot, right? If you don't pay, if you're doing credit and you don't pay attention to Capital One, you're an idiot, right? If you're doing financial services and you don't pay attention to Fisher, you're an idiot. I mean, he's spending more money on lead generation than anybody's ever spent. Just the fact that he can continue to do it tells you you got to pay attention. But the crap somebody did 25 years ago is as interesting or more interesting. Because even as good as Fisher is, a bunch of us could beat some of the controls. Now, it's always easier to start there than start from scratch. but. Okay, is that all right with you? Thank you very much. Okay, you're going to be the last two. Uh, Dan, so in, uh, in direct mail trying to get new customers, how would you decide whether to do a blind lead generation offer with a free report on a subject related to the product versus going for a direct sale of the product? 
Well, is the question blind generation versus disclosed or branded lead generation? Yes. That's the question. Okay. And into your house list or into a cold list? A cold list. Okay. So his question is, so there's three things you can do in lead generation, right? You can do disclosed or branded. So Fisher is, is branded, right? All the lead generation says, we're Fisher. And here I am, and here's what we do, and we'll send you this free stuff. Okay, so that's branded lead generation. Disclosed is almost the same as branded, but it's when there's no brand. So it's like nobody maybe knows who you are in the list you're going into, but you go ahead and disclose I'm James Lang, and I'm a financial advisor in Pittsburgh, and I've been here for 130 years, and et cetera. So you disclose it, right? Blind is the third thing you can do. So there's no branding. There's no disclosure, right? It's more like old dating ad kind of structure. It's about the person you're trying to attract with a reason for them to respond. So his would be, um, if you're a college professor, uh, soon to retire or retired, with a half million dollars of investable assets, and most of it is laying idle in one place like TIA CREF, there's critically important information you need before the next economic downturn. Here's how to get it. Okay, now that's blind. Okay? We could make it even more blind by fuzzing the offer. We've at least disclosed it's about something you do with your money. We could make it even more blind if we wanted to open the doors further on who responds. So now your question is, how do I choose which one to do? So the first answer to the question is, as usual, most marketing questions are framed as either-ors, which is a restrictive frame that doesn't necessarily apply. In this case, it doesn't necessarily. So for Craig Proctor with real estate agents, for Greg Stanley with dentists, I use both. Okay, and here's why. They have a recognizable, well-known brand with a significant percentage of their market. And it's not bad, but it's familiar. So if I ask 10 real estate agents, what do you know about Craig Proctor? Five of them can tell me the five things about Craig Proctor. Oh, now they don't tell me anything bad other than he's old. So you're going to hear, oh, Craig, that's the guaranteed sale program. Okay. That's um, um, lead generation advertising. That's um, listing presentation with whatever. And, and one of the five things probably is they're going to say, oh, he's old, he's old hat, he's been around a long time. So, so the other five things. That's the only bad thing, though. So the reputation's fine. It's just familiarity breeds disinterest in some people. It's Greg Stanley, same problem in dentistry. So you'll never hear anything bad. Like, never. But they'll all rattle off 
oh yeah, Greg's about keep the practice overhead to 35%, invest in municipal bonds. They're going to tell you the five things they believe Greg's all about, right? Which now, why should they come to the seminar, right? So on the other hand, these are great brands with great reputations, authority, that matters to some people. So we run both. So we run, at the same time, we're running Craig Proctor, lead generation, online, mail, and we're running blind, online, mail. And some of the blind goes some distance. So it's not only the lead generation, but it's the landing page stays blind. The first report, that's when the when they finally get the first thing they ask for, they realize on page four, we reveal to them that it's Proctor. Okay? So there's a case for both. You might not run them simultaneously, you might run them in rotation in the same list. If you're going to decide one or the other, the decision is really about which do you think favors you more? Brand disclosure? or no brand disclosure. And then you have to think about, do I have a good brand? Do I have a bad brand? Do I have no brand? What do people think about the brand? Right? It's situational, right? So to my knowledge, even online with Frank Kern helping him, Tony Robbins has never done unbranded. He's never done blind. It's all Tony, 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 Tony. Okay? Well, there's good reason for that. That's why you make yourself famous, right? Is so you can wave your fame and people are excited. On the other hand, there's some immediate reaction of big, goofy, toothy, screaming, yelling guy. Oh, he's the walk on fire, bullshit guy, right? So there's some reaction to that. Could you run blind campaigns, get people through the door, conceptually talk to them first? and then reveal to them and be effective? Yes. Now, some companies won't do it, even if it works. So I proved to Weight Watchers we were better off blind, but they wouldn't do it because they're a public company and we want Wall Street to, right, so there's these other agendas, right? But, so does that, does that, answer, that answer the question for you? whether to do lead generation versus a direct Oh, during one-step sale, okay. So one-step sale, meaning here's what we got, buy it, right? By and large, it's got to be a simple commodity item, right? So like Valpac, okay, a lot of one-step works in there. Here's a coupon for, you know, buy three snow tires, get the other one free, and winter's coming. Well, okay, I got to get snow tires. I get it. Okay, boom. Okay. Um, so, and one step works with um, uh, got to buy it, kind of got to buy it, will instantly want it because it's cool. But it gets tougher and tougher when the sale is more complicated or the price is significant to the buyer. Now, 
for one group of buyers that might be 200 bucks and to another group of buyers that might be 20 grand but whatever is significant to that group of buyers now one step gets hard right so a lot of one step is really actually about product and price and not much more sophisticated than that the only sales trainer from my industry <coughs> ever to be on The Tonight Show was Fred Herman, the keep it simple salesman, kiss guy. And so Fred was on The Tonight Show. And, you know, Johnny used to have like kind of an, a book author or an ordinary guy on his last guest sometime. So somehow Fred got on The Tonight Show. I don't know. He's the last guest. And Carson says, he's the greatest sales trainer in America. So, okay, here's my ashtray which in the day on television they smoked. So Carson had a big ashtray. He and Ed smoked. He said, here's my ashtray. He didn't say wise ass, but it was the implication. So he set him up as America's greatest salesman, yada, yada. Okay, now here's my ashtray. Sell me my ashtray, right? Fred says, I see you smoke. Do you smoke? Carson says, yeah, I smoke. He says, I see you don't have an ashtray. You don't have an ashtray, do you? Carson says, no. In a minute or two, with the ash, that you're going to need an ashtray, aren't you? Well, yeah, I guess I am. Would you like an ashtray? Well, I guess I would. It's nine bucks. Will you pay nine bucks? I guess I will. Sale done, right? Well, so that's really a one-step sale, right? Do you need your lawn cut? Do you have anybody cutting your grass? No. Would you like your lawn cut before you get a letter from the homeowner association? Yes. And will you pay 50 bucks? Yes. Right? One step selling. So in most cases, what we're doing is better served by lead generation. Now, even in your house list, sometimes lead generation is the winner because it allows you to do more with the list without being seen as being abusive or getting in the way of other things so again if like if you look at this back to newsletters this is never advertised there's never a full page insert it's not on the website um, there's no you know series of emails to everybody Everybody doesn't see it. There's mentions, and you got to ask for the stuff. So that's lead generation in your own media to your own house list, right? And there's not enough of that done uh, with newsletters, for example. Um, so sometimes it's even better in the house list, particularly if you're selling something that's boutique, that's only going to appeal to a segment of your list anyway. Because if you show it to everybody, now one of the things you have to be is price sensitive. Because you've got to price it at a price that works for like the mean average of your list. Well, how, what do they spend money? How much do they usually spend? Uh, how many payments do they need in order to spend it? If you're going to run it to a little segment of your list, well, the segment may have a higher price tolerance than everybody else. They may not need payments. And if you broaden, you need to price down. Right? 
So we can't price the super conference, or they won't anyway. They don't think they can. And what we price this at, right? But super conference is three days, and there's barking dogs, and there's celebrities, and there's, you know, all of that. So you would think you could price it higher, not lower, but no, okay? But I couldn't get 1,000 in here at this price either, okay? Does that, does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to everybody about lead generation? Good, okay. You're up and you're last. Dan, with your guidance, I am now the financial columnist for the fifth largest newspaper in Canada. Uh, they won't allow me to pitch during the column, which is fine, but they do give me a byline that drives to either email or a website, which has autoresponder for lead generation. The, the style of the column is Ann Landers, Q&A from, from readers. Um, so that goes, that's print, which I love, that's my medium. Uh, but it also shows up on their online um, uh, subscription service, okay? which also has the byline that drives as well. Um, I'd like to pitch them, if you tell me to, to also have that uh, Q&A in an, uh, a link that they'll just post on their website right by the column that's uh, Andy Rooney style. So it's me sitting at a desk. It, uh, it'll be familiar to my audience with the Andy Rooney at the end of 60 Minutes. I don't know if they still do that now. but No, Andy's dead. and Well, really pretty much everybody on 60 Minutes is dead okay. at this point. Okay. So, um, and, you know, if you own one of those things you can hold in your hand that's got a camera on and a video, very easily my so, assistant look, could do it. There's no reason not to go have the conversation, okay? The conversation has to include, this column's popular, people are emailing me, they have other questions, let's give your readers more value so they like you better, okay? Good for you, good for me, okay? So let's do the video, right? Let's do the archive. So. I'll build it, you run it, let's keep accumulating all this stuff in a searchable way. So now somebody has a question about grandkids, they can go search every answer I've ever given about grandkids. So yeah, try and weasel your way into as much of their space as you possibly can. The other thing is to push for at some point, so your bio at the bottom of your column, if you could, it's two lines, change now the free thing they're going to go get to match what was talked about in the column. So here's my bio. I'm Thie Convery, and I'm, what's there now? I'm Thie Convery, and I'm the author of this and so, and I'm a financial planner, and here's my email address, and here's my website. If the last part of that tweet, column by column by column, Right, And so your answer this week was about grandkids and how to keep the parent from blowing all the money so the grandkid starves in the street. Then the last little line of that is, and for the full, for the full grandkids report with the answer to 20 questions about grandkids, email me or go to the site. And the next week that's gone and the nursing home report is in there. Okay, That'll boost your activity a little, right? Okay? Yes, thank you. All right. We're four minutes away from when we were supposed to be done. 
That's a big victory. Um, so I hope you guys had a good day. I hope you guys had a valuable day. Thank you very much. As always, it's a privilege. Those of you, uh, those of you going tonight, I'll see you at the races.